stories. The stories that we tell, the stories that we believe are true, shape us and make us into who we are. The stories that we tell and believe are like breadcrumbs that are revealing to us our greatest desires, our greatest hopes, and our greatest fears. What would you say the story of humanity is? How you answer that question will have a profound effect and a profound shaping of your own story. What you say the story of humanity is, that will be the story that you go to to find your own story. And that's something we're going to say a lot around here. Find your story. And what, here's what is meant by that. There are two stories happening. There's your story, and then there's this grand story happening at the same time. And so to find your story Here's what it means. Listen, to find your story means to be swept up into this grand story, to find this larger story. It's the story that you were meant to find. And so to find your story means to find who you really are and what you're meant to do. And I think one of the hardest things to do is to, to see this story happening. And here's what I think happened. There's this grand story that we have been told. And over time, this story became legend. And then this legend became myth. And now we're here today with this story feeling like it's at such a distance that it's out of our reach. The story actually is happening all around us. It's a story of good and evil. And we saw evil dis on display two days ago in Fort Lauderdale at the airport where somebody opened fire on innocent people. And we could explain that away and we could say, well, there's a mental disorder happening. And yeah, that's probably true. But where did even that thought come from to do something like that? Something interesting, there's an atheist uh, his name is Andrew Del Banco. And he says something very interesting in this book he writes called The Death of Satan. And, he's, and he basically lays out this and he says, we have lost the words to describe, to express our current reality. He, he actually says, an atheist says that there is sin and there is evil, but we have thrown those words away like they're a myth. We've put them out of our vocabulary, and now we don't have the words to describe what is happening around us right now. And he's saying we need to put those words back into our vocabulary. He's saying that there's this grand story, basically, that's playing out in front of us, but it's like our hands waving in front. Like, put your hands close to your face and wave them really fast. You can't really see them. Go ahead, do that. Okay, I'm just going to take a picture. I can't believe <laughs> you guys fell for that. <laughs> okay, I missed the picture. Um, we have to learn to see this story. And... 
This is the story of scripture. This is the, what I'm calling this grand story. Uh, it says something. And it says that there's something wrong in the world. And it lays out this story that says there's this great evil that has tricked humanity. And it's tricked humanity into what the Bible calls sin. So think of sin like this. Sin is removing God from the place where he belongs. It's removing the ultimate good from the place where he belongs. So So think of it like this. Um, the Bible talks about our heart, and, and our hearts are like a throne. And God is meant for that place, but sin is removing God from that throne, removing the ultimate good from our hearts. And so the story goes like this Humanity got tricked by this dark evil to remove God from the rightful place of our hearts. In this action, brought something into the world that did not exist before, evil. And it was like just this drop. It was like it just this drop of poison dropped into the eye of a hurricane, and then it was just spread out, spit out all over the world, and there was nothing that was left unaffected by this evil, by this sin, by this sickness, by this poison. And yet, God would not allow evil to win. God would send hope into the world. In fact, that hope was God himself. And I got to tell you, we are right in the thick of this story playing out. It's happening all around us. And I want to show you that this story is very real. And God is at work in this story through his people, through you. And this story is playing out and he's sweeping you up into it and he's calling you to play a part in this story. And so to find your own story means to find four things. And the first thing it means to find is the first thing you got to find is your calling. So First thing you got to find is your calling. So let's jump in. Verse three and four says that the Christian is an oak of righteousness that is renewing the ruined cities that he or she is in. The Christian is an oak of righteousness that is renewing the ruined city that he or she is in. And the magnitude of this claim could be easily passed over. And to understand this, we've got to understand, we've got to grab the meaning of this word righteousness. And this word is used in a few, it's used a few different ways depending on the context in the Bible. This word righteousness sometimes is used to be, to be made right with God, to have a cleared record legally, in the legal sense with God. But here in this context, it's used in a different way. The Greek word here is sedek. And what it means is it's about doing what is right. It's about bringing, there's evil, there's wrong in the world, and it's about bringing good into the world, righting what is wrong. 
and I fought myself on this, but the best way that I know how to explain what an oak of righteousness is, is that an oak of righteousness is a hero. An everyday, ordinary hero living here in the city, working to make what is wrong right. And these oaks of righteousness have been awakened to the fact that something is not right. Something is wrong. And then they seek to do something about it. They refuse to sit idle. They can't help it. They are rebels against what is wrong. They're rebels against what is evil. They can't help but turn their lives around for, to, to fight for what is good. And in every great story, you see someone, some hero confronted with what is wrong some evil that needs to be made right. And almost always, in every great story, there's great sacrifice that is required to bring about some good. I mean, try to come up with any story that doesn't have that aspect to it. There always involves sacrifice to bring out good, and that's what makes a hero a hero. They're willing to do what it takes to bring about some good. I mean, you look at the movie Rogue One, and I'm about to give a spoiler alert, so if you haven't seen it, you better plug your ears. I'll whisper it. You got, I feel kind of bad. <laughs> I got to do it. It's going to ruin the whole sermon. Um, there, okay, I'll just say this. There is a large, large sacrifice that happens. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Man, gosh, you guys should have made that sacrifice, I'm just saying. Um, okay, okay. Uh, here's the question we got to figure out. What would drive a hero, what would drive someone to make such a great sacrifice? Compassion. Compassion. That's what would cause them to turn their lives inside out. Heroes have this special ability to feel what others feel, and it drives them to action. And in fact, somehow, heroes have this way of pulling good out of others. Uh, Romans 12.21 says, says out, over, overcome evil with good. So... And, and this happens all the time um, when you're hanging out with a group of people and uh, you're kind of talking and then there's this lull in the conversation and there becomes like this awkward moment where like, oh, I hope somebody says something. I don't know what to say. A lot of times, this is really interesting. You watch it. The conversation turns because nobody knows what to talk about, but it's really easy to think of bad things about people. And the conversation usually turns in, a lot of times to talking bad about somebody. Um, you guys are like, oh, no, I'm doing, I did that. Oh, man. Um, Oaks of righteousness, they don't do that. Um, yeah, they see things that are wrong, and it drives them to action, but it's not driving them to, like, gossip or something. Um, and I'm telling you, this happens all the time. 
Heroes feel deeply for others. They defend others, and they work to pull the good out of others. However, heroes, at the same time, they have this keen sense of being aware of evil around them. What's wrong with society, what's evil in society, what's wrong with what's happening around them. They know, listen to this, they know that in order to make things right, God has to occupy the throne or the heart of the city that they are in. Remember, we talked about sin is removing God from the throne of the heart. There's a, there's a heart in our city. I'm going to tell you, God is not sitting on that throne. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is on that throne. And I don't, I don't think it's power. I don't think it's money. And I don't think it's control. I think, I, I th- and I think I'm right on this. I think it's comfort. And I can tell you this. I, well, we have this retirement mentality in Florida, and, we, and, and especially here in Port St. Lucie. And, and I think that that mentality has trickled down to all of us. I really think it's true. And I'm going to tell you that if comfort is on the throne of our hearts, then there are not going to be any oaks of righteousness because here's why. The last thing you want to do if you're chasing comfort is sacrifice for others. It's the last thing you're going to want to do. In fact, people with problems are going to probably annoy you. In the story, The Lord of the Rings, there's these people called the hobbits. And they're very peaceful people, and they love comfortable living. And they don't get involved with the problems of the world until the problems of the world fall right onto their lap. And they have to make a choice. They can go back to their comfortable living, or they can take the responsibility that a hero would take and face evil head on. And so they do. And in the end, uh, sorry, spoil alert again, uh, good wins. Um, but they, they took the responsibility that was required to rid the world of evil. And in this story, the road is hard, great sacrifices are made, but in the end, good prevails. Why? Because every day, ordinary people took up the calling to become an oak. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this. I really think this is true. I think Floridians are a lot like these hobbits. And I do. I think it's true. And I think we love comfort. However, we have a calling. We have a calling. And that's what this is a calling to be an oak of righteousness, a hero. And when more and more everyday, ordinary Christians take up this calling, something happens. Goodness begins to sprout up. That's what verse 11 is saying. Righteousness begins to sprout up all over the city. Christianity is a bit stealthy. It catches people off guard through ordinary people doing something that's this great sacrifice for others. And that's what this is about. Everyday, ordinary people making real sacrifices for the people that are just in their lives. 
living with a refusal to be indifferent to those around you. You know, the great enemy of good is obviously evil, but I think there's another great enemy of good, and I think it's indifference. Think of your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. Put them in your mind. Are you making great sacrifices for them? Deep compassion for them. Loving them like you love yourself. I mean, really, really loving them. This is about a love for others that overwhelms your insecurities, that overwhelms your fears, that overwhelms your desire for control. And that it's about letting love for others push out this desire for comfort in your life and taking up the calling to be an oak. And do you know what it looks like when oaks of righteousness are scattered throughout the city, seeking to renew the ruined city? It looks like a grove. And this is where we get our name from, right here, Isaiah 61. Our vision is here, a renewed city. Every, our mission is in this. Our, a lot of our values are right in this. I could talk about Isaiah 61 forever. Um, But I'm telling you, if everyone in this room started living like this, I got to believe the city would change. And don't push this calling away. This is what you're made for. You're wired for this. Let's together rebel against this desire for comfort so that we could go out and do what it's calling us to do right here, to be an oak, to be strong, sturdy, and stable for other people around us, to be a foundation that other people can lean on. I can tell you there's people in the church that are already doing this. Now, hopefully I've inspired you, and now I'm going to annoy you, because I'm going to tell you something. You can't do it. You can't live like this at least not on your own. Um, And that's what a true hero realizes. The true heroes realize that they themselves are in need and they need a grand rescuer to come for them, to sweep them up into the grand story. And that's the next thing that you have to find. In order to find your story, you have to find this grand rescuer. So verses one and two, They're all about Jesus and about you. Remember I said earlier that evil has been spit out of a hurt, like a hurricane, like a hurricane spits out wind and water, evil has been spit out into the world. But the story doesn't end there. There is hope. There's good news. In the grand story, hope comes into the world and hope comes right down into the middle of the storm and hope calms it. Who is this that calms the storm? It's God himself. You know, Jesus' first sermon 
that he ever gives, his first public sermon, is from these verses right here, verses 1 and 2. And the thing that he claims is that he is the one who's come to bring this hope. He is the one who's come to bring this good news. And you know who he brings this good news to? He says, I've come to bring good news to the poor. Now, who are the poor? The poor, some of you raising your hand like, the poor are those who know they have nothing if they don't have him. You see what's just happened? God has just written himself into the story. He's just written himself into his creation. And what's he come to do to bring good news to the poor? See, the poor, they've looked around and they have seen evil and they have seen that that evil has come and affected them that that evil has a hold on them, and so they cry out. I mean, the evil has a hold on them. And so they cry out for this grand rescuer. They reach for him in the midst of the storm of evil. The poor are those who know they have nothing if they don't have him, but they know that if they have him, they could be stripped of everything, but still feel like they have everything. And these poor, it says they were, these poor in spirit, they were brokenhearted by this evil, but he's come and healed them. They were held captive to this evil, couldn't break themselves from it, but he's come and released them. He's delivered them. And these, these poor in spirit are haunted by a past that they're maybe embarrassed of, a past filled with sins. They're, they're admitting it. But he's come and he said, I've come to bring the year of the Lord's favor, which means the year of Jubilee. And that means he's come to, to completely clear the record. All sin, all debt, wiped clean. He's turned the poor into oaks. True heroes, true oaks. They know they don't have what it takes to face the hurricane of evil and so they out. They, they reach for the grand rescuer. They realize he has made them into who they are. They realize the reason that they even have this desire to sacrifice is because he has made this great sacrifice for them that has moved them. They, they realize that the only bit of compassion they have is because they have seen a compassionate grand rescuer come for them who has shocked them out of indifference. And what you have to realize is that heroes always seem to have an event in their life to sh that shows them that they are in need. They have a conflict in their life. Look at every great story there's always a conflict. Every time there's a conflict, like a phone like starts ringing in the middle, great conflict. And there'll be this crossroads or there'll be this, this great difficulty that they're facing. And it seems hopeless. 
but they find something to cling to for hope. They find something. In the grand story, Jesus Christ is the grand rescuer. He is this grand hope. So when you're at your crossroads, cling to the rescuer for hope and he will give the strength you need to break through the conflict. All right, so what's your current conflict? What what are you struggling with? Um, What has you struck down? What's eating away at you? What's showing you that you're weak? Here's the, the, uh, one of the greatest temptations of evil is to say this, you can do it. It's to say, put your hope in yourself. Because the story of Christianity is saying, put your hope in him. Much different message. The story of Christianity is saying, don't must try to muster up strength within you. It's saying, there's something outside of you that has now come into you. Story of rescue. The crossroads we face every single day is, will I cling to myself and make myself the hope, or will I cling to Christ? Look, in the end, whatever you cling to is what you're left with. Cling to yourself, and in the end, you have yourself. Cling to Christ, and in the end, you have this grand rescuer. Here's our problem. Here's the problem. Until he is all you have, you won't realize you need him. We're so stubborn. We've been so affected by this poison that has shaken our world that we usually don't go to him until we're desperate. Are you desperate for him? Or are you clinging to yourself still? A way to know is just to check your life, to look at how compassionate am I, to to look at how sacrificial am I. Because if the hero has done this for you, it moves you into doing this. What would your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers say? Um, So right now, if you're thinking, oh man, I really need to try harder. If you're thinking that right now, you have missed it. Don't try harder to be heroic. Cling to the grand hero. And he'll change you. He is the source of growth. He's the source of change. Look, the job of the church is simple, just to point you to him, to point you to the grand rescuer, to point you to the grand hope. And that's why we're here. And that's why the church is important because we forget about this all the time. We, we forget that we've got to keep our eyes on him. So that's the job of the church. That's why we're important. That's it. Um, without him, you don't know who you are, really. You haven't found your identity, and that's the third thing to find. To find your story is to find your identity. So that's the third thing to find. Okay, look at what it says, verse 10. 
Now, Isaiah 61 is a pretty hard text to understand, and here's why. It's skipping around in the speaker. The speaker keeps changing. So verse 10, what has just happened is the speaker has been Christ. We know that from the New Testament, speaking about this grove of heroes, this oaks of righteousness. And now the speaker has changed to being this grove that is speaking about the grand rescuer. And they're speaking with one voice as one. And here's what they say, as one. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is about a whole new identity, a whole new person. Salvation is more, listen, salvation is more than just being forgiven of your sins. Salvation is to be clothed with Christ, which means the Father right now is looking down upon you and he sees all the beauty of Christ, all the perfection of Christ, all credited to you. Not something that you earned, but that's, gift that's been given here. Be clothed with Christ. But it's not just that. Also, Christ is the root that we as oaks draw from. He's pouring goodness into us. That's what salvation is about. The, the son of God, Christ, is, as the root, is pouring goodness into you as an oak in the Father. He's pulling goodness out of you. Look. That's salvation. And you have been chosen for this. It's your destiny to become this. Look at any great story. There's always as if there's this destiny that the hero has to have the courage to live into this identity that he has to learn to live into, to take up this new identity. Now, a tree can never live into its identity without the root, right? A tree would just fall over without the root. It would have no growth given to it without the root. In John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, which means he is the root system and we are the tree. And then it also says that the father is the pruner. That means he cuts the tree in order to make the tree grow more, in order to make the tree draw from the root system. You know when you cut a tree, when you cut it, and you're forcing it to draw more from the root system. So the father puts conflict in the life of the oak, not to tempt the oak, but to cause the oak to draw more, depend more, rely more on the root who is Christ. We draw our goodness from Christ when we go to him in the midst of our struggles. I have this rose bush um, that looked horrible. Uh, the roses were like so pitiful and the leaves had this white film on them. And so I started spraying it with this stuff to try to get it to get better, and it wasn't working. And so finally I was like, you know what, I'm going I'm to prune this thing. And so I cut it down to like nothing. It just looked like sticks. Elise, my wife, thought I killed it. She doesn't have a lot of confidence in my gardening. 
but you should see this thing now. The roses are bright red. The leaves are this deep, rich green, and this thing is flourishing. This rose bush has taken up its identity because I put conflict in its life. I cut it. It had to be cut in order for it to draw up its identity. It had to draw from that root system. Right? So if we're going to take up this calling, it's very clear that there will be conflict. And when that happens, when conflict comes, draw from Christ and he will cause you to live into this identity as an oak. Our challenges cause us to become more and more of who we're made to be if we will just draw from him, if we will rely on him, if we will depend on him. You either cling to yourself or you cling to Christ. And if we're going to cling to Christ, the problem is we got to take our hands off of our life and we got to say, I'm yours. Do with me whatever you want. I'm giving myself over to you. And that, in a way, is the offensiveness of Christianity because it's saying you can't do it without him. You can't be a tree without the root. And I think if we together cling to him, that there could be a movement that could be ignited here where we see the glory, the beauty, and the worth of Christ displayed for our city to see, renewing the cities of the world. So the question now is, how does he change us so much? How's that happen? It happens because he sweeps us up into this grand story. And that's the fourth thing you have to find is this grand story. So how do we find this grand story that I said is happening all around us? How do we find it? Um, by going to the first tree. I'm not talking about the tree in Genesis. I'm not talking about that first tree. I'm talking about the tree of the New Testament. Do you know that the cross is commonly referred to as a tree in the New Testament? Verse 11 says, He, meaning Christ, will cause righteousness to sprout up all over the world. So how does he do this? Through the cross. The first great tree that was planted into the ground that did this is the tree that he hung on. And by it, he gave life through his death. Do you know that in order for you to live, something has to die? Anytime you eat something, something had to die. It, plant, animal, whatever it is, it had to die for you to be nourished. When what is eternal dies for you, you live on forever. 
And when he was buried, it's as if he became this acorn that would give life and goodness to all the world as he finally rose up out of the ground. Hebrews 2.14 says, through the cross, he would enter into what is most evil, death. And he would live through it, and by living through it, he would destroy it. He would destroy what is evil. He tricked death into swallowing him up so that he might live through it and destroy it and destroy that which has the power over death, which is Satan. In the resurrection, it's the beginning of this new world a world that will one day be rid of all evil. When this grand hero, listen, when this grand hero finally returns, and that's what we're waiting for. This grand story has a grand ending. It's the ending that is the deepest of our desires, and it's, it's all things made new, made right. All things. Come on. At least admit you wish this was true. At least admit that you hope it's true. And now, if you'll finally take the risk and go all in and trust it's true, put your hope, all of it, not in yourself, but in him, and be swept up into this grand story. Let's pray. God, we pray that your spirit would convince us that this is very real. It is more real than what we can see. That this story, the story of all stories, is a story that rings true in our hearts, that it would echo in the halls of our hearts. God, mold us into a church that puts you on the throne of our hearts. And God, we pray for our city that you would teach us to be people who take up our calling so that we might help renew the ruined city that we are in. We cling to you, Jesus, as our hope pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.